Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, Decode Your Burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. And today I am joined by a lovely duo, Rebecca and Scott, and they're going to talk to us about how not to be a doormat because they are communication experts. Now, everyone deserves to make their voice heard. Keith Scott and Rebecca Klein Scott co-founded Tall Small Productions with the mission of helping people at every career level communicate in a clear, concise, and engaging style that results in action. Tall Small Productions leads communications workshops for groups and individuals around the world. They work with Fortune 500 companies, small businesses, school districts, and associations on negotiation public speaking, body language, leadership, crisis communications, and media training. This husband and wife team launched their company in 2014 and frequently make TV appearances, weighing in on the impact of communication and politics, news, and relationships. And yes, the company is named for their heights. Keith is 6'9", and Rebecca is 5'2". But taller here. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. This was wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited because, you know, we haven't really talked about this very important issue. I think communication is important. And I think we may have touched on it in a very different way. But what you guys are going to share with us today is important because I think there's a lot of myths about how to engage around other people in the workplace when maybe you're not so sure of yourself and there's things that you want or you don't know how to, you know, how what you're going to do is going to affect other people. And so sometimes we do let ourselves become a doormat and that's certainly not helpful. So what we want to do is really dive in a little bit into what it means to be a successful communicator so that you can avoid this whole scenario. And I'd love to hear from you guys really what your take on all of this is. You clearly are experts in the field of communication. So first of all, like, how did you get into this topic? We noticed a lot of people out there putting themselves down, saying things like, I'm sorry, I don't know if this is the right idea. You're probably not going to like this, but... And all of those types of phrases turn us into doormats. And then we wonder why others are stepping on us. And we are on a mission to get people back off the ground and show them they don't have to be in that position. Plus, 
the amount of ideas that are out in the world that never come to the table because people are nervous, they're scared, they're afraid a loudmouth's going to step on them, make fun of them, say something about them. So they just keep quiet, are immense. We always think of, could there be the cure for cancer? Could there be the cure for climate change? Could there be cure? All these problems, the answers are there many times. But if we don't have everybody in the world know how to communicate, be authentic, be their real person and not be nervous, then this world can radically change with all those ideas. Yeah. And I think what you're bringing up is actually very pertinent to burnout specifically because one, the first thing that you mentioned is this phrase, which I really love that you had that specific example. So if you hear yourself saying something like, you're probably not going to like this but then, you know, basically what it says is that you have a lot of self-doubt, maybe even imposter syndrome. Yes. And all of that's going to create a lot of anxiety and you're not going to playful out. And the fact is, anxiety is built in from the beginning of time because when someone stood up and the whole tribe or the whole group was looking at them, that was nerve-wracking because that probably meant something was going down bad. And so we were programmed to be nervous and be anxious. But you can change that programming in your mind and it takes practice, but you can change that through understanding confidence, understanding the fact that judgment does occur. A lot of people think, I don't want to be judged, but we teach our philosophy that Yes, you're being judged. You know, when we speak to a group, 10% of them just don't like us because they don't like the way I look or they don't like Rebecca because she's short and she can't help them. <laughs> but the fact is, you got to get past that. There's always people that don't like you. And when you get past that feeling, it changes everything. We also help our clients tune in because most of them don't realize that they're using this weak language. They've said it so many times to the point that they have no idea but they feel hurt. They feel as though they're being victimized and they don't know that the onus is on them. And that also means they have the power to change it. So there's so many things here that are really powerful. So I really just want to highlight this idea of weak language is key. And I love that you had that specific example. And maybe you have some additional phrases that can help us. But I think identifying these things and hearing yourself say them with a little bit of self-awareness can be a clue that you need to work on your communication. So do you have any other phrases like that? Millions. If someone says, you know, well, I actually had a good time. What does that mean? I can't believe that I really had a good time, right? You see this happen at conferences all over the country. Oftentimes the MC who's being paid a ton of money will get up yeah. there and say, if you bear with me for the next hour, I'll try to get you out of here by lunch. Can you imagine going to a concert <laughs> Saved up money, you got a ticket front row to a band, and they come out and say, look, we're going to try to get you out of here in 90 minutes, all right? You just bear with us. They have to be entertaining, and this is what people don't realize. We're in groups. You hear this all the time. Someone raises their hand and says, well, I was going to say, well, why the heck didn't you say it? Because you thought <laughs> you might be wrong, and so therefore you cover your butt by saying, I was going to say. And there's wow. tons of these phrases that make people sound so wimpy and they don't even realize. Or there's another one. Imagine going in for brain surgery. And if the surgeon said to you, this procedure should work, you'd run the other way. But people say all of these weak words all the time only because they're terrified that somebody might judge them. Or that they might get it wrong so that maybe I'm assuming like you'll be kind of off the hook if you're not yes. promising. Right? Like, I don't hold me to this. Right. Exactly. But most things in life aren't that critical, like brain surgery. It's not like we're running NASA or a nuclear power plant. Most of the jobs we do, if we say something wrong or, or say something, it's not really going to make a major impact. And most people aren't paying attention anyway. 
Yeah. So I love this idea of like being aware of your language, because when you speak using these weak phrases, it really does. I mean, you're doing it for a reason. Yes. But it also paints a picture of you. And I'm I'm sure there's like ripple effect of that in terms of how people perceive you. I mean, talk about not wanting to be judged, but you're actually, it's kind of a form of self-sabotage, isn't it? It absolutely is a form of self-sabotage because as you say these words, then everything about you shrinks. You tend to hold yourself like this, you self-soothe, and it creates the opposite perception of what you want. And what we have our clients do is if we have them police themselves and turn inward, they're only going to get more anxious. Instead, we have them go out in the world and listen to other people listen to news anchors, radio reporters, everybody in their life and listen for these words. And the more they pick them out, the less they will use them. The more you listen, observe other people, people do this all the time. You see somebody in a restaurant, somebody in an office, and you think to yourself, thank God I'm not like them. And everyone does this, but they don't want to admit it. The fact is, if you hear people using all those words, think I don't want to sound like you. You don't have to tell them, but think about that because Behaviors change. If you get in someone's car and it's full of trash, most likely you're going to go home and vacuum your car. Right? <laughs> we, we change behaviors by things that we see. If you go to someone's house and they're affording stuff, you probably will give stuff away to Goodwill when you get home. We've had that happen. So you change your behavior. So if you listen to other people and hear these words, then it's the fastest way to change behavior. Most people try all these other things, but just find out what you don't like in life and don't do it. That's really good. So I like the idea. You already have a call to action for our listeners, which is go out there and find somebody who is an eloquent speaker and pick up some of these really powerful phrases to replace the weak language that you might be currently using, which is great. And then, you know, I want to come back to this idea of not being judged because I think that's a huge thing. A lot of our anxiety is worrying about what other people are going to think about us. And as you said, it's really not about avoiding the judgment, but more so about accepting yourself because we actually can't control how other people think. Right. It's about embracing the judgment. When we do sessions with our clients, we'll put ourselves out there on stage and say, judge us. We want to hear what your first impressions were of us when we walked into the room. We want the good, the bad, because the more often you're able to accept any form of judgment and get used to it, you don't get swayed by it. I love it when they go negative, the positive stuff or whatever. But if someone's like, I can't stay in your shirt, or I didn't like how you said this, that's great stuff because it shows that you're never going to be liked by everybody. And you learn from it. And then on the flip side, sometimes we'll take our clients who are feeling very low about themselves, or they'll think other people will never like my ideas. And we'll play a game with a whole group of them and have them all share their first impressions of each other. And they're always pleasantly surprised that oftentimes that first impression is the exact opposite of the assumption that they think others have about them. If people worry about judgment, and, and this may sound a bit of a downer, but you're born alone and you die alone. Right? <laughs> Thanks. No problem. But the <laughs> fact is, you have to do it yourself. There's no one else. And you're never going to worry on those two times about the judgment of others. Those are not going to be your thought processes at those times. And I think too many people get caught up in the day-to-day and don't look at the larger picture of what life really is about. It's about creating that inner, your own inner self. Yeah. So you've mentioned already one really big topic in terms of how not to be a doormat. One is to avoid weak language and get over this fear of being judged and really just find powerful language and accept the fact that people are going to judge you no matter what. Right. And that's kind of like 
a big, powerful message wrapped up in like all these micro messages all in one, which is great. (laughs) The other thing that I think it brings up, at least for me, as I hear you say that, is that when you are acting like a doormat or you allow people to treat you in that way, you're going to play small. And the reason I think this is important when it comes to burnout is because Too many times I hear people say that they are unfulfilled with their work. And being unfulfilled is one reason why you might be burning out. Absolutely. And to your point about words, for example, people that say, I'm sorry all the time. Mm. Say that nonstop. Well, it's like a mantra or a chant. If you keep saying these things, you become a sorry individual. I don't want to be rude about it, but that's really what you become because you've internalized it. No different than if you say, like you talk about your burnout at work, you know, I can't stand this work. It's not fulfilling. We become really a non-fulfilled person because you've repeated that same dogma in your head forever. And something else we see a lot, particularly with women, that leads to burnout is the self-talk of, I don't deserve my own time. One time we were brought in to work with a woman. She had been in sales and her numbers had slipped and her boss wanted us to work with her on her sales. It turns out she did not need any help from us on that. We asked her, if you had a whole day to yourself, what would you do? She didn't even want a day. She said, if I had an hour to myself, I'd go out, eat a burger, have a Coke and read a People magazine. She had three kids under five. And the idea of eating without little hands on her plate was really appetizing to her. And we assigned her to do that. And not only once, but a couple of times. And her numbers came back up. Sometimes it's the self-talk where we tell ourselves we don't deserve that time that causes that level of burnout. And everything can change with a few simple actions. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful when it comes from a coach because people don't give themselves permission often. Mm-hmm. And when you assign it to them, they feel like they have to do it because yeah. you know, there's, there's still like the people pleasing aspect. They have to, you know, or they're like, I'm responsible. I'm not going to let my coach down, you know, but really like they're learning how to give themselves permission to take the time because they see like, Hey, when I do this, I feel so much better and I perform better at work. So Maybe I do need to rethink this whole model. And it's recalculating your point or your existence. It's keep it on earth. It's not just to work and do 70 hours a week and do all that. Like, what's the point? Why are you here to enjoy, to have fun, to give back all those things? And, And I think what's happened is we've made it stigmatized. If you're not just doing the work, you're taking that time. You know, but a lot of creativity happens when you do absolutely nothing. You just sit there and look out the window. That's mind, you know, allows you need that rest time. And, and it goes back to the beginning of time. You know, people hunted and gathered, but then they had time. They need to do that 20, 40 hours a week. <laughs> they took time to do other things. We've lost that in our system. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I recently heard that Albert Einstein, amongst other, you know, real thought leaders, would take naps in the middle of the day. And that's when they would like have their biggest ideas. So when you talk about creativity, like, yeah, sometimes we just need time not to do anything. And we know we get all of our best ideas when we're in the shower and we're yes. taking a walk. Not when we're sitting at our desk and really trying to figure something out, right? Exactly. So we have to have that kind of built into our calendar. And I think there's too much guilt and there's too much overwhelm about, well, I got all this other stuff I got to do. How am I going to find time to do nothing? But you can't afford not to find that exactly. time. Exactly. Going to burn out. And then, and then when you do take their time you find a lot of the other stuff not everything but a lot of it's just busy work and other stuff you really don't need to do where you can find ways to holiday there's not a lot that you have to do i often think about you know what happens when there's some sort of out of the norm event like 
there's a family emergency. So it's unexpected. You've got a calendar full of events and yet you have to leave everything behind and attend to whatever is going on. Somehow you manage Always. and, and everything didn't fall apart. Exactly. You know, we don't need to get to the point where somebody is on their deathbed for us to take time for ourselves. Like, yeah. It's just a mindset, really. Absolutely. I mean, that's a great example. Some of just people going away on vacation and they think if I leave the office, it's going to blow up. Well, that's just raw ego right there. Mm-hmm. You are the linchpin. <laughs> For everything. And that's not true. And I think part of it is ego, but I think there's also the trying to take care of everybody else. Like if I leave, everybody else is going to have to do my work on top of their work. And there's a lot of guilt about taking that time for yourself because you don't want to be a burden on other people. And I always say that if you have that mentality, it really goes back to your beliefs about yourself. And often if you have that idea in your mind, it's because you believe that you are a burden. So you're trying so hard to make everybody else's life so much easier. But as you said, we can rewrite our whole message to ourselves. We can reprogram these beliefs and you don't have to continue living with this. We see that, especially with moms who think that they have to tend to everybody else. And they don't realize that if they don't put on their own oxygen mask, they're not being the role model that they really need to be for their kids. I think that's a really, really important message that we don't hear enough because yeah, when you're a new mom, there's this maternity instinct that kicks in where you're like, I mean, literally you have to be taking care of an infant, right? Because that's part of your biology and whatever. Mm -hmm. But I also think it goes into your psychology. And then a lot of times we don't know where to kind of create that boundary, where to cut it off and when to start kind of focusing inward. And I know like as a new mom, I was exhausted because I wasn't sleeping through the night. I'd have to wake up in the middle of the night and you know, breastfeed. And then, you know, you're just tired throughout the day, but you know, your responsibilities don't go away. You still have so much you got to get done. And so I think we really need to rethink that whole paradigm. So thank you for bringing that up. Now, I know you prepared three myths that you want to debunk for us when it comes to communication. So share with us, what's the first one that you have? The first one is a lot of people think to motivate themselves that they need to be negative. They need to put themselves down. They think that's what will drive them. But it does the opposite because when we tell ourselves things that sound like doormat language, those things don't stay hidden in our heads. They come out in the form of the weak language. Swapping out that sabotaging self-talk or affirmative statements changes how you are seen and eventually how you see yourself. That's really powerful. When Whenever we talk about self-compassion, this exact idea comes up. <laughs> the reason why people don't have compassion for themselves often is because of this myth that you know, if I take it easy on myself, then I'm going to become lazy. I'm going to become compliant. I'm not going to be achieving as much. And I care about productivity and accomplishment. So how could I possibly like be kind to myself? And it's actually research that shows that when you treat yourself poorly in the way of your self-talk, that it does increase your productivity only initially, and then it drops. Whereas if you use that like kind language with yourself, you actually have a more long-term approach to productivity. Because at the end of the day, if you beat yourself up enough, you're going to break yourself down. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Great. So sometimes people think that 
you know, they're really anxious. And when it comes to public speaking, we know public speaking is the number one fear that people have, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're not a seasoned pro, oftentimes, you know, you're very, very anxious about going on stage and talking. And it doesn't even have to be like you're a keynote speaker. It can be just at a meeting at work, you know, you're going around the table and you're like not even paying attention to what other people are saying. Cause you're like, Oh my God, there's two more people. And then it's me. And like, right. And you feel like your heart beating so fast and it's in your throat. Sometimes people think like, okay, they just have to kind of try to get their message together. So they're focused on the content and they're not focused on their physiology. What can those people do? There are lots of things and it's about finding the one that works right for you. One thing you can do is, and do this privately, go in the bathroom before you go to into that meeting or even sit down on the phone with somebody and breathe in and out very slowly. And as you breathe out, it grounds you and helps to prevent your heart from racing. Because when our hearts race, it tricks us into going a mile a minute Mm. and people don't absorb our messaging. I'm glad that you brought that up because one thing I know when it comes to physiology and breathing is that when we're really anxious, our breathing changes. Mm. And we tend to have this kind of hyperventilation, right? Where we're taking in a lot of air, but we're not really exhaling and it's very rapid. And so it, it sends this message to our brain, we go into fight or flight. And in fact, one of the things that can be very soothing is to turn that around to elongate the breath and to focus more on the exhale than the inhale. And that actually allows you to calm and just soothe your whole nervous system down. So I think it's important to mention this because I think the myth essentially is that it's just, I'm not a good speaker or, you know, there's (laughs) nothing I can do. So this is just bound to happen. There's nothing I can do about it. Right. But we are actually saying you can soothe yourself in these Mm -hmm. situations, and it does get easier with practice. And to realize that whenever you're at a podium or speaking to a board or friends, when that anxiety occurs, you start to speak faster. Just naturally. You have to remember to speak slower than feels comfortable. When you're speaking, you have to think inside your brain, man, I sound really slow. And then you'll be at the right pace. And also to remember that the pauses are the most important part because you need the pauses after the words to digest the words. Most people just fly through a message thinking, thank God I'm done. But they don't realize that no one's really listened or digested it. Pauses. We always tell folks to watch the first 15 minutes of the first Godfather movie. We're not proposing violence. We're saying that the Godfather speaks slowly, but the words are powerful and everyone listens. And it doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to be fast. And that's the moderation of tone and speed people should choose. Something else people can do is to open and close the toes because most of us are not staring at each other's feet. You can direct that nervous energy down to a place that people can't see. And when you open and close your toes, that movement makes you less likely to rub an arm or play with your hair. A lot of women, especially we find, will put their hair in front of an eye and hide behind it. And then once they're confident, they'll push it back. We see this in courtrooms and boardrooms. Or the hand inside of the jacket, rubbing the collarbone. The fact is, whether people understand these signs of body language, everybody's naturally wired to notice them soothing themselves. And that's what we talk about doormats. People take advantage. Folks that understand these signs, when they notice someone rubbing their arm, the mean, vicious people of the world will see that and say, I got this person and I can take advantage of this person. And those are the people that we're trying to, to help out, to teach them how not to do signs that allow someone else to take advantage of them. Okay. So basically what you're saying is you want to do these covert ways of soothing, like stretching the toes out 
and then closing that backups because nobody can see that. And to do something ahead of time before you have your speaking engagement, where you go and you change your physiology through breathing so that when you show up, you're calmer and you're more grounded. And this can be in a talk or just a one-on-one negotiation. Mm -hmm. I mean, this occurs you're going in performance review with your boss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of situations that go into this. I was going to say uh, what you were talking about earlier with the speaking more slowly. Mm-hmm. There's actually something psychological about this where the reason why we talk so fast is because we don't want to take up space. Yes, true. Right. And if anybody's seen that TED talk by Kelly McGonigal, where she has you do that superwoman pose and you're putting your hands up on your hips, it's really to change your physiology. So you're feeling more confident before you go into any situation. There's also something about not just physically taking up space, but in your speech, taking up space, taking up time, if you will. And there is that fear that nobody wants to listen to me. So I have to talk really fast and get it out so that nobody cuts me off. There's that fear of I'm going to get cut off. And really, I would encourage people to kind of experiment with this and take their time the next time they're in a conversation just to see what happens, because it is actually very powerful. And it is a way of taking back your power. I love that idea. And something you can do in the moment. Mm-hmm. When you're feeling nervous, is have a glass of water with you. You see yes. this on late night shows, early morning shows. Yep, there you go. Cheers. <laughs> Take a sip and buy yourself a moment or two. And that helps you to get out of the gate smoother because once you get out of the gate, it often gets easier from there. Amazing. All right. And do you have one a final myth for us to debunk? I think one of the big myths that people find when they're doing public speaking or communicating to any group is that people are rooting against them, hoping that they will fail. What we really find over and over again, been done in a million studies, is that people are, first of all, thinking, thank God it's not me up there. I don't want to do that. Second is, you know, I hope they do succeed. Because if you're out in the audience, you really don't want to sit through an hour of boring PowerPoint and a boring speaker. It's an hour of your life. So you're hoping that they're going to be good. So you're going to root for them. And what people can do in the audience is, instead of looking stone cold or like they've sucked on lemons, is smile once in a while, nod your head even if it's horrible, because that will help the speaker at least get a little bit better. Show some signs to speaker, but people are rooting for you. That's really reassuring. I'm glad that we are able to end on such a positive note. So just to recap, what you've said so far is that people have this idea that they need to be self-critical in order to get things done or to be able to sustain their productivity or whatever it is. And really that self-talk is sabotaging them. Secondly, that there is something that you can do to really shift your physiology so that you are feeling more cool, calm, and collected when it's time for you to speak. And that people are actually rooting for us Yes. Not, you know, and it kind of brings us to the beginning where we talked about this fear that we have of being judged. I think it falls into that same kind of area of being very cynical about people. And I just want to bring this back to burnout because cynicism is actually one of the flagstone symptoms that we see. So if you find yourself being uber cynical about other people and being super worried about their judgment and thinking that they're going to try to wreck your speech or somehow, you know, get you to fail, that's a very negative attitude and you need to get that in check. Yes, you needed some attitude chiropractic work on that. 
Absolutely. Well, Rebecca and Scott, thank you so much for being on the show. I love this thank topic of, of not being a doormat and speaking confidently and having that not just outer communication, but inner communication is super important, in, especially when it comes to burnout. So that's great. If people are interested, perhaps in finding you online, working with you, where should they go? Head on over to tallsmallproductions.org. You can fill out a form there about any of your questions. And we always get back to everyone within 24 hours. Amazing. All right, cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Now for all of you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? I thought it was fantastic. And there's so many goodies in here that I hope you kind of simmer with this for a bit. If you're a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And for all of you doers, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? Now, regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience and by decoding it you can find solutions that are equally unique to you help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on apple or spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think feel or do differently because of the show and if you're watching us on youtube you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes and please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout If you're ready to take the next step with me to decode your burnout, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week.